0: Today we'll, so today we'll, we'll go into the priesthood. So this, this piece by William Butler Yeats um, is, a, is a beautiful poem called The Ballad of Father Gilligan. The old priest Peter Gilligan was weary night and day, for half his flock were in their beds, or under green sods lay. Once while he nodded on a chair at the moth hour of eve, another poor man sent for him, and he began to grieve. I have no rest, no joy, no peace, for people die and die. And after cried he, God forgive, my body spake, not I. He knelt and leaning on the chair, he prayed and fell asleep. And the moth hour went from the fields and stars began to peep. They slowly into millions grew and leaves shook in the wind. And God covered the world with shade and whispered to mankind. Upon the time of sparrow chirp, when the moths come once more, the old priest, Peter Gilligan, stood upright on the floor. Mavron, Mavron, the man, he cried, while I slept on the, ch- the The man has died while I slept on the chair. He roused his horse out of his sleep and rose with little care. He rode now as he never rode by rocky lane and fen. The sick man's wife opened the door. Father, you come again. And is the poor man dead, he cried. He died an hour ago. The old priest, Peter Gilligan, in grief swayed to and fro. When you were gone, he turned and died as merry as a bird. The old priest, Peter Gilligan, he knelt him at that word. He who hath made the night of stars, for souls were tired and bleed, sent one of his great angels down to help me in my need. He who is wrapped in purple robes with planets in his care had pity on the least of things asleep upon a chair. Isn't that a beautiful poem? So I get teary eyed thinking about this. It's also almost impossible to read that poem without a slight Irish brogue. But <laughs> it's uh, as we have this reflection on the priesthood, the first thing to always remember is the beauty and the awesomeness of, let's look at it as, as far as in, in, in the terms of marriage first. That the fact that God, in his ineffable power, mercy, and wisdom, who creates all things, limits himself as creator and father of all to create life because he takes a man and a woman and in love places them together, and it is through that love, that union, that life is created. That God doesn't create just randomly creating people, that he limits himself and his, his creative overflowing love to, to create through, if you will, the agency of others, through the action of others, that God intimately weds himself to our weak state and says, I will create through you. I give you this gift. And this gift, you, man and woman, and I will create new life together. That's beautiful. Well, in the same way, in creating, if you will, the spiritual life, God in all of his wisdom and mercy says, I am going to do so through another kind of broken instrument, through this man who will be me, who will speak as me, who will act as me. As Jesus walked the earth and encountered men and women and served them and gave himself for them and poured himself out for his bride, the church, So he calls the priest to continue to do it day after day in his name. We are, I love that great line from my favorite play, Henry V, we are but warriors for the working day. That the priest is meant to throw himself, the whole line is, we are, you know, gayness doesn't mean gayness. It means like, you know, our happiness. Uh, I say this because we are but warriors for the working day. Our gayness and our guilt are all besmirched by the rainy march and the fearful battle. But by the mass, our hearts are in the trim. Meaning that in the midst of the daily battles of life, the priest has been sent by God to do battle against evil, to save souls, and to bring people closer and closer to the mystery of heaven. That is the existence of the priest. A priest is, as he is in every religion, not just in Catholicism, the priest is there to offer sacrifice. So we look at the priest of the temple. In the Jewish temple, he offered sacrifice to God. The, the, uh, you know, every priest, I mean, it's whether they were pagan priests or whatever it was, they offered sacrifice. Why? Why do we have this need of sacrifice? It's because there's something written into us that says that really having a relationship, really loving, is, is, is giving myself, is sacrificing myself, is a dying to myself for the other. People that are in love naturally want to do that. You na- hopefully. If you can't, if, if that's not what someone wants to do, they're not in love. Uh, that's a clear indication of the vocation of marriage. If one does not want to die to themself for the sake of the other, you're not called to marry that person. That's guaranteed. Um, Because that is what love is. Love is gift. Love is pouring myself out. Well, God does what? Why do we want to do that? Because that's what God does. We're made in his image and likeness. God is gift. God pours himself out. So we, as people, want to respond to him in the same way in that love. It's written in our hearts. We are made for God by God. And so we want to give ourselves. But as human persons who are faulty and fallen, we know that we're not capable of that, that there's something that keeps us from doing that. And so as a gesture of our desire, as a gesture of this deep, profound need, we sacrifice And we do so as a, not just as an individual sacrificing for God, but I want to do that as a people sacrificing. Because we realize that love is also communal. And so what happens is that in order to be a sign of that sacrifice of the community, that sign of that mutual self giving of the community to God, that we want to offer that sacrifice to Him. And so throughout time and every, in every, religion, and in every circumstance, man acting on the innate desire within him wants to offer this sacrifice of his goods as an indication of his giving himself to God as a responding to the gifts. So the ancient Greeks sacrificed to Zeus and to Hera, yes, Zeus and Hera and and Apollo and all of them as a way of satisfying the, the relationship. Zeus gives us the, the world and, you know, and uh, Hera gives us wisdom and Aphrodite gives us love and all these things. And so in response to the gift, I, we give as a gift and we sacrifice our things, okay? And that continues on. And God calls for sacrifice for in the Old Testament. But that sacrifice is never enough. The sacrifice is never, it's never good enough. And we know that. And that's why they, throughout the Old Testament, that sacrifice a, a bull, and then a 100 bulls, and then 10,000 bulls, and all these different things. It, was, it seems to never be enough. Why? Because the only thing that satisfies the absolute radical gift that God gives us is an absolute radical gift. But we can't make that gift, because we're fallen and faulty. So God becomes one of us to give the gift. And Jesus Christ, the high priest makes the sacrifice of his very self, having our human nature, being being a human, he has our human nature. So he's making that sacrifice both as man for us and as God who made us. And he makes the perfect sacrifice, the definitive sacrifice, the final, the, the only sacrifice that's needed. And so At the sacrifice of, that's why we call Jesus the Paschal Lamb. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he gives himself as an absolute gift. As a what? As a bridegroom to his bride. He pours himself out in absolute oblation. And she receives that love. The church. She receives that love and responds. Well... That sacrifice is once final and definitive. There is no need for that sacrifice again. However, God, in His infinite mercy and love, wants us all to experience the effects of that sacrifice. And so, what He does is that He gives us the priest to stand as the person of Christ, so that because Jesus, by becoming man, the Son of God, is limited by the things that limit man. By what? Time and space. So he wants to be in communion with all of us. He wants us to have that sacrifice fleshed within us so that we can respond to it. He wants that relationship to be, to be, to be constantly nurtured as a relationship is. We know that. I say anyone who is in any sort of friendship or in marriage knows it's not just like, you know, one and done, right? It's constantly giving, constantly pouring out. God knows that, of course, about us. He made us for that as a constant renewal of myself. Because once again, I'm not an angel. I can't make a one-time definitive choice that is good for all eternity. No, because I live in time. I have to continue within time to make that choice of love. Well, in the same way, by becoming man, God limits himself by time as well. And so because of that, we need to experience his love regularly. We need to experience the sacrifice, and we need to respond to it. And so in his mercy, he gives us the priest, the Catholic priest who makes the sacrifice. But it is not a sacrifice, a renewed sacrifice. So we don't want to slaughter lambs and things like God. It's disgusting. G- g- good food. But after that, it's like, all right, enough of the blood. I mean, there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gallons of blood flowing from the temple every day. I was just, it, you imagine what that must have been like. Well, now we have the blood, the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ. And so what does he do? So that he may be with us throughout all time, he does what only God can do. Through the power of the sacrament of orders, when the bishop lays his hands upon the head of the priest and calls down the Holy Spirit, invoking the Holy Spirit upon him, that man now becomes Jesus Christ every time he performs the sacraments. So that God can be present. In the same way that the Holy Spirit is present in confirmation. In the same way that he's present. Jesus Christ is literally present in the Eucharist. Every time a priest performs the sacraments. He is speaking as we say. In persona Christi. In the person of Christ. That he stands as the person of Christ. Not symbolically. Literally, sacramentally, he stands in the person of Christ and speaks as Christ so that Jesus Christ, through him, can be present to his people. So on my ordination, I laid down, I literally laid down on the floor in front of the altar and laid down my life so that he could speak and work through me. These are no longer my hands, they are his. It is no longer my voice, it is his. And I, as a fallen creature, have to affirm that constantly. In the same way that uh, bride and groom, when they give one give you to each other in marriage, they say, in effect, they say, "This is my body and this is my blood." In effect, they say, I'm, "I take this; I'm all of yours." And they have to affirm that gift of self constantly. Well, the priest has to as well. God is always giving, but in that moment, he gives us the priest, who then allows, who makes Christ present to us. So that we can, all of us can respond. So when I hear confession, your confessions today and the other priest here, we won't say Jesus absolves you from your sins. I say, I absolve you from your sins. I speak as him. Not because James Serby has the ability to do that. Because in the sacrament, Jesus has the ability to do it through me. And in a very human way, we each encounter his mercy. We experience it in a human way. What's a human way? I hear it. I see it. I sense it. I experience it. Right? through this man. In the Eucharist, we take the bread and wine brought in sacrifice, and we make present the sacrifice. We make present the one definitive sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. You and I are literally at the foot of Calvary at the Mass. The priest has the ability, this is great, <laughs> uh, it, was, it rem- reminds me of the, uh, the movie Aladdin, huge cosmic powers, itty bitty living space. You know, uh, (laughs) that really is, that's, it's like, I have the ability to fold space and time and bring each of us back to the very moment of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on Calvary and his resurrection. In that moment, I fold space and time and you and I are present there. But the paradox of the priest is, I am a wretched sinner too. I am both priest of Jesus Christ and a sinner. Through this power, God becomes present to us in time. And you and I get to experience and ratify that love affair every day. Every time. Every time we encounter that. It is Jesus Christ acting. He, what does he say? Why does he come? To do the will of the Father. Whoever sees me sees the Father. So, that, so if I'm acting in the person of Christ... Whoever sees me sees Jesus sees the Father. And so that's why you call the priest Father. And it's, for, it's because Jesus really, God, knows that this whole salvific plan is a family affair. If we are all members of the body of Christ, we are members of the family of the saved, then we need Father. If the church is Mother, then we need Father. That's why we call the church Holy Mother Church. And so Jesus gives us the father figure as he is to us, as he leads his people, so the, so the priest is as well. And this is very important to realize. When I take the host, I say, this is my body. Which means that I have to not only have the grace of orders, but I also have to have, I also have, to have that which I indicate, the body. And so I have, I'm, Jesus was a man, I'm a man. That's why women aren't priests. In the same way that Mary, who is the most worthy person ever to be a priest, isn't a priest. She is Mary. She is mother. She has that role in the church of nurturing, of drawing people in. In the same way that the priest, this is not an elected kind of thing. It's that Jesus chooses men to be other hymns so that he, they can give themselves and the, as him and the bride receives. Okay. The church receives this love constantly being renewed. The love affair is constantly being renewed. The gift is constantly being renewed. And it is a gift. That's why when I look at the priesthood, I don't think, like, I'm a priest. No, I think, what a gift. I've been given this gift so that I can give it, right? In the same way that a, a, a woman doesn't walk around going, I, have, I, have, I can make babies, right? Hey, hey, look at me. You know she says? What a gift I've been given to create and bear life, right? <laughs> I hope they don't do that. That would be really weird, especially in that voice. But uh, (laughs) so why do we need the priesthood? The reason the priesthood exists is is, is to offer that sacrifice, okay? Um, So in the Old Testament, we see I already went through all that. And we see the need for the priesthood is not abolished. Instead, it's transformed, okay? Uh, The church has always held that Jesus did not come to abolish the Old Testament priesthood. This is from the Catechism but to take it up into himself, transform it, and empower it with the graces of the new covenant, won by the shedding of his blood, okay? And then um, and within the Catholic community, there are different, if you will, different grades of holy orders that lead and guide that we are there to serve. Now, I want you to think of the hierarchy of the church, okay? The hierarchy of the church, I'm gonna move mean, this over here something else. You know, when you talk about the word hierarchy, in worldly we can never think of worldly things when we're thinking of the faith. When we think of hierarchy, in worldly ways, we think a top-down model, okay? So what's the hierarchy? No, you have the you have a king, and then everybody is under the king. Okay, and the king is there to kind of be served, and then all the other people serve. Okay? We might even see in our own country. Actually, this is this is the, the model that we have in our own country. has been skewed by people. The president is the servant of all. The Congress are the servant of the people. The Supreme Court, the three branches of government, the executive, legislative, and, and judicial, the three branches of government are there to serve the people who have elected them, right? The government is for the people, for the people, by the people and of the people, okay? Fine, so that's, so we can even see, so like the president should be not, Begging us to vote for him, the president should be begging to serve us, which will then get us to vote for him. That's what they don't get. Okay. Um, so, what is the hierarchy in the body of Christ? I want you to think of it as an inverted triangle. Okay. Here's the people of the church: uh, the lady, right? Families, children, married people. Hold uh, on. Then you have deacons, who are called, what? To serve them. Always, always serving them. Okay? Then you have... Yeah, I want to make sure I'm doing this right for you. <laughs> I've never thought of it, and this, this just came to me. Alright, uh, then, then you have, you know, the priests, called to serve the people. Then you have bishops, okay? Called to serve, okay? And then you have a bishop, okay? That is the bishop, the first bishop, the bishop of Rome... That's the Pope. He is called the servant of the servants of God. That his role is to serve everybody. So in the matrix of love, love is service. Love is not power. So the power that I'm given to forgive your sins, that doesn't do very well in the world, right? What does my power as a priest amount to in worldly standards? The world laughs at us. Why? Because the only power we have is the power to serve. I do not have the power to impose. I have the power to serve. A funny thing that people will say, like ah. the church tries to impose its teachings on people. Really? I don't know. Never seen a Delta Force out of the Vatican. You know, never seen any sort of like, you know, stormtroopers coming out to say, you have to do this. No, it's all a service. It is to call people to that higher love, to call people to the divine love, to call people to the great love. If somebody doesn't want to accept it, fine, go do what you want. But if you want to be happy, we believe that this is what it is. So the priest is called to be a servant of happiness, a servant of joy, to serve the people and to elevate them and to raise them up to heaven. So if you think about what we do, not only do we bring the sacrifice of Calvary, but we also bring the sacrifice of the people to God. So during the Mass, one thing that we do, and I know I've mentioned this to you, we talk about the Mass. One thing that we do is, you know, the collection is made. Okay, the collection is not just there to like, to have money to help the poor and pay the bills, even though that can be very practical and helpful. The idea is that the money is symbolic of the sacrifices that we make in our life. Why because a lot of the sacrifices we make have to do with making money okay. and we so the sacrifice of our labor and work, the sacrifice of our family life, all the different sacrifices we make that is drawn together, and so when we the bread the wine that's made is, is work of human hands, we say um, In the liturgy, Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have this bread to offer, which earth has given and human hands have made. It will become for us the bread of life. Then we take the chalice full of wine, not full, we have wine in the chalice, and we say, Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have this wine to offer, fruit of the vine and work of human hands. It will become our spiritual drink. Uh, What is that? Is... This bread and wine is symbolic of our sacrifice, the collection, all those things, all of our prayers, all of the sacrifices we made in our life are collected and drawn. And so what happens is that in that moment of the Mass, I offer the sacrifices of the people, and then I call down the gift of God. And then I give that gift to you. So the priest becomes the pontifex or the bridge builder. The bridge builder between God and man, what do we call the Pope? the reason we call him the Pontiff, the Roman Pontiff is because he's the Pontifex Maximus okay now there's three grades, if you will, three orders of the of the priesthood there 's the diaconate okay that are called to serve the needs of the people, okay, serve the word of god that 's why deacons preach, and so Saint Francis was a deacon, he wasn 't a priest he was he preached and to serve the physical needs of the people. That's why we get that from the Acts of the Apostles where they chose men amongst them that would care for the needs of the community and the widows. Okay. Um, and then they, they, Which would allow the priest to then do what? Pray and offer sacrifice. Okay. So it is for the deacons to do that. It is for the priest to offer sacrifice, to forgive sins, to baptize new life, to be a father of the family. The bishop, which is the, is the uh, highest order of the priesthood, is there to lead others, lead the whole community of the church in his diocese or whatever he is, a bishop for, to heaven, right? By having governance. We need governance. We need people to lead us. We know that. Only an anarchist would deny that, okay? So we have a governing structure. We have a hierarchical structure in nature, you know, a certain... Animals that do different things in nature. We have a hierarchical structure in the family. I remember when I was a kid, I had friends. Uh, this one particular friend, the mom and dad, you know, they were like, "Well, none of this like post Hegelian and you know, it's none of this pre Hegelian anti authority stuff." And they'd always say, "Call me John. Call me call me whatever her name was, Sue." Uh, and so the, the parents refused to let their kids call them mom and dad. They Said, "Call me John and Sue." And, then, and they treated their kids like friends, not like parents. The family was in absolute chaos all the time because there was no authority. There was nobody governing them. There was no one leading them to, to, to something greater. Uh, so the church is not like a, uh, a big equality fest when it comes to that. Of course, we're all equal in the eyes of God, but that we need that governance to lead us. Does that mean that the priest or the bishop has power over us? No. It means they have power to serve to lead us to correct us we need that just like a parent needs to correct us um but it's to 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 lead us to that higher state and that's why the priest the bishop the deacon most are called to a to call to be men of sacrifice that's why we don't get married we're celibate well deacons aside why why don't priests get married is because my life must be an absolute, radical, and complete gift to my bride. Who's my bride? If I'm acting the person of Christ, who's my bride? Church, church exactly. And so my bride is the church. Recently, I had a friend who was kind of, it wasn't kind of, he was mocking the church. And uh, um, and it was just, I was like, come on, man. Come on, it's my, it's my bride. And... Uh, and he, you know, he just thought he was being funny, and he just kept on it. And I just blasted him. And, and like, he should have not, like, don't get me angry, because I just, like, systematically tore him to shreds. And from everything, even, like, it was crazy. But, but, like, I, it was like, you hypocrite. And I just, it was just like, and, and he was like, whoa. What? Man, you're harsh. I'm like, do not make fun of my wife. And he was like well, you really look at her like a bride? I said, absolutely. I said, how'd you like if I went and called your wife all those names? He's married. He's like, I'd punch you. I'm like, you're lucky I didn't punch you, right? But, but that's it. And it's just like, that, that she, so my bride, I give myself entirely to her. Can my bride have conjugal relations with me? No, okay? That's weird, all right? No, so, so, so the priest is celibate. Is it genitally? Is it a sacrifice? Yes, right? But guess what? Love is a sacrifice. Now our world doesn't get that. So that when the world looks and they go, what do you mean you can't have all the genital goodness that you want, right? We should be able to do with what we want, how we want it, where we want it, with who we want it, when we want it. It's like, I don't believe that, right? That, that's not good for you, right? And so they don't get, so what is it? They don't understand. The world doesn't understand why the priests sell it. The world doesn't understand why a husband and wife only are with a hu- each other and nobody else. Right? So they don't understand marriage either. So, are we willing to make that sacrifice? Absolutely. Is it difficult? Absolutely. Is marriage difficult? Absolutely. Love is difficult in a selfish world. So, the priest is called to give himself entirely in that way. Um. The priest, priest comes from presbyterate, right? For presbyter, which is the Greek word for priest, okay? Um, so what happens at holy orders? We receive what's called an indelible character. So when we're baptized, we also receive an indelible character, meaning my character, my who, the, the who I am is changed, okay? I, the what I am is changed radically. So once I'm baptized, at the moment of baptism, I become a son of God forever. Even if I reject it, I still share that that something of that communion. I still share that that intimacy with the body. I'm still grafted onto the body of Christ. I might be a cankerous sore on the body of Christ, right, of sin, but I'm like, but I'm still a member of the body of Christ. Well, in the same way, a priest, once the priest is ordained, he is a priest forever. We say in the prayers you are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek, who is an Old Testament character, who was very mysterious, but he offered sacrifice for the people. And so that, but I'm a priest forever. So even if, so I've, like I've known priests, sadly, who, you know, they left, the, they left the priesthood, whether it was, they had a psychological problem, or they had a moral problem, or whatever it might be, and they left, and they were released of their vows, and they went and they got married, or whatever um... They're still priests. They'll be priests for all eternity. Their soul has been radically reconfigured and changed to be, to be Christ. So, if, let's say, that guy who, uh, and you know what, it's, it's like, I understand. There's reasons why a man would leave the priesthood, especially if it's psychiatric or something. I understand that. There are sadly some who, in the midst of battle, flee from the trenches and leave the war, they leave the battle. I call them coward. They're still my brother, but it's very hard to look and be like, "Oh yeah, whatever's good for you." No, you were a coward. So, I say that in all honesty. And I'm sure as men, it's like, I know plenty of, you know, battle vets who could commiserate in that way. But let's say that man for whatever let's say it was a good reason. Let's say it was some reason, something happened, whatever. I won't judge it. He goes out and he. Is driving down the street, he's married, got a bunch of kids, old grandfather now, and he's driving down the street and he witnesses a car accident. And he jumps out, he's helping the person, and the person's dying. He could hear their confession and absolve them, because he's still a priest forever. He can anoint them because he's still a priest forever. In a case of an emergency, he could do that. So always a priest, everywhere. And there is a real fraternity of the priesthood, which is awesome. I'll tell you a really funny story where I first experienced, where I experienced the depth of the fraternity of the priesthood. I was in um, uh, Sydney, Australia, and we were there for World Youth Day. And there was a, so it was arranged that for priests that were going to say Mass with Pope Benedict, we had to go to the Sydney Opera House, to this one office of the Sydney Opera House that they had put aside, which just... By the way, a very, very cool building. Um, and they, they put it aside, uh, all the tickets and all the... And we had to go with our dossiers and show that we were priests of good standing with our diocese, et cetera, et cetera. And they had to match our name up with our ID and all those things. And uh, we get there. And I don't, you know, it was like, I don't know if it was that it was Australia or if it was that... You know, because Australia's great, but it's like, yeah, no worries, Mike. it'll get done. And uh, <laughs> so we were there. We were there in line for five hours... <laughs> And it was just we're like standing there waiting. And now you get some, you get some of the like old priests and, and you got some and you got some like young guys who are just ordained, they're like, where are God, you know, that was me. And then yeah, so we're all there and we're just waiting in line forever. And so what happens? It was a real apostolic moment. Like I, I got a sense of what does it feel like to be one of the apostles? Because then all of a sudden, after about an hour and a half, you hear guys going. Like, yeah, move it on there. What the hell's going on? You know? And then you hear the other guys in there, just like, this is ridiculous. I have never waited in line. You, know, you, you have all these different people. Then you get the priest from New York. There's a bunch of Franciscans they are like, this, come on, buddy, let's go, move it. You know, and They're all screaming, this guy, is driving me crazy. So we're all, and the guys are starting to get antsy. They're starting to get antsy. They're starting to get on each other's nerves. There's like, there's no bathrooms anywhere around. It starts to get annoying. And then all of a sudden, one of the priests, you know, what. at first I was like, holier than thou, look at him over there. But it worked. He goes, um, salve Regina. And he just starts a chant. And all of a sudden, all the men, all this whole room of 400 priests, mater Misericordi," And it just, we all sang to Mary. All these sons of Mary, all of these priests, because that's, Mary's our mom, right? If I'm another Christ and she's... <coughs> Jesus' mom. I mean, she's my mom very intimately. And we all started singing to our mom. And then it was just like, brother, hey, I don't know. The New Yorker's like, that's great. You know, it's just, it was awesome. It was this real fraternity. We started praying the rosary together. We started making jokes. And guys were exchanging. It was like, once we prayed together, we didn't want to leave the opera house. We actually loved being together. And the next day, we'd be like, hey, you You know, the Indian over there and the, you know, it's like the African priests are like, hey, the big smiles. And African priests smile, like they just always smile. And, uh, you know, and it was was awesome. So it's just, but it was a brotherhood. It was a fraternity. Um, Because we're all priests. We all share the same being. And that's why at that moment in the mass, when we're all concelebrating with the Pope, we say, this is my body. We are all acting in absolute harmony as one person, the person of Jesus Christ. You want to experience intimacy? Nothing is greater than that. That was amazing. It was the mystical marriage lived in absolute human harmony. All right. um, So a priest becomes a priest not just because he's authorized to do so, okay, but because he becomes a completely different person. That's why anywhere I go, I'm a priest. Whether I'm wearing this, or not? Some people, they laugh, like, on my day off or something. I might go out. I'll be in, you know, jeans and a sweater or something. People are like, are you, like, still a priest? Like, yeah, yeah, I am. I'm always a priest. Like they used to say in the seminary, there is no vacation from your vocation, which was just annoying, especially with the really strong Philadelphia accent they used to say it to us. in. But it was, it was fun. Um, it's the once ordained, a priest can never go back to being a layman. I will always, I will always be a cleric. I will never be a layman. Uh, And it's funny, you know, people ask me, like, what do you miss the most about being a layman? Sometimes I say, well, I mean, really nothing, but people say, oh, a job or, oh, this. uh," I'd say, if anything, being a layman, because the vocation of the laity is super powerful in the middle of the world. And now I'm super powerful in the middle of the world, but so is your vocation, right? So I'm called to offer sacrifice, to lift your sacrifice up. You're called to make the sacrifice in the middle of the world. And so it's the sacrifice you make and the sacrifice I lift up and bring to you so we're we're both sacrificers and sacrificed. Okay. This is really good stuff. Yeah. Right. What about that? Well, I will say this It's just like, well, what about a man who gets married And sa- then realizes right. like, oh, I shouldn't have No, I shouldn't have married you <laughs> You know, what, what's the answer to that? Tough right. You made a choice You live that choice God gives us the grace to do that Now I will say, just like uh, marriage You don't have to discern marriage on your own Who do you discern it with? The person you're marrying, right? There's two people. And I would hope your friends and family. Like, if you're engaged or you're really in love, and then your family should. If they don't think you should be with that person, it's the role and duty of the family to go and say, I don't think this is good. They could be wrong. But if they're doing it prayerfully, they have an obligation to say so. Right? Um, In the same way of the priesthood. Like, I don't discern the priesthood on my own. I'm in the seminary. I have my formators. and, And it's a lot more intense than... Than discerning marriage, because it's like me, my bishop, the vocation director, the formation committee, my classmates, the universal church. I mean, there's a lot going on there. So, like when you get up to that point, you, you know. and I will say this: there is an act, and it's a beautiful thing, where you are officially called to orders. Okay? So I remember Bishop Laverde coming to St. Charles Seminary. And he sat down, hello, James, how are you? And I'm like, fine, Bishop, how are you? And so, how is formation going? It's good, Our class class up. So at the end of the, he said, is there anything you want to ask me? And all these things. At the end of the conversation, he looked at me and he said, well, and he reaches into his bag and he pulls out the letter, I still have the letter. He says, James, I call you to orders. And he hands me that. At that moment, my discernment was over. I was no longer discerning if I was called to be a priest. At that moment, the church speaks and says, you are called to the priesthood. My, the, my Holy Mother Church now calls me out from the people to be set aside for the service of the faithful. Okay? If that happens to a man, you're called to the priesthood. Now, if the guy doesn't feel like he's caught and things like that afterwards, then check your feelings at the door. We're in war. You know, it was kind of like you became a Marine, you signed up, here's your gun, get into the battle. I don't feel like I'm meant for the battle. Fire your weapon, right? That kind of thing, and that's the same. That's the, and I really do see it that way. You know, we are, especially the parish priest. It's semper fi or die. I mean, we have to be always faithful, because we're in the we are in the middle of a battle against evil. And true happiness comes from sacrificing yourself for others. You see, if somebody flees that, or you know they're, they're not in touch with their feelings or something, it's like then get help. Like, go to the field hospital and come back into the fight because it ain't going away. Does that make sense? All right. Yeah, I, I know. I have very, I'm very passionate about that. Okay. Um, let, me, uh, let me end there because we have first confessions.